Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. All right, folks, welcome to the show. Got a lot to talk about and not a whole lot of time to get through everything, but we're going to make a make our a good way through it all because we have the Premier League coming back uh, in a couple of hours, to be honest, uh, 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 recording this in the morning. Uh, but uh, we have uh, the season kickoff uh uh, soon uh, in the Premier League with Arsenal facing off against newly promoted Brentford, but uh, plenty going on in the Premier League with uh, drama, obviously, and uh, changes, which is always happening. But the world of soccer got set ablaze not too long ago with the shocking <laughs> departure of Lionel Messi from Barcelona. And I kind of have to talk about this one. Because this is an all-timer... What are we doing? What are we doing? Moment. Get this... Just let, wrap this around your head. Barcelona, the highest revenue-grossing team in the world. More than the Yankees. They clear more bank than even the Yankees. Barcelona, as a club, clears well over a billion dollars a year. In revenue. Billion. They print money. Somehow, Barcelona is so far in the hole in debt that La Liga could not actually allow them to sign most of their players, including Messi, who had already agreed to take a 70% pay cut due to uh, uh, the pandemic and lost revenue for the year. because. All soccer clubs have been taking a beating with the lack of revenue uh, generated by fans. Uh, We all knew this. But Barcelona had so badly mismanaged their finances that literally this is impossible to do. This is Bill O'Brien. Even Bill O'Brien might not have been able to financially screw uh, uh, this team over any more than Barcelona did because Bill O'Brien wouldn't be smart enough to screw his team over uh, to this extent. That's how badly Barcelona mismanaged their finances. Barcelona has sold off all their land, completely blew through their budget to the extent that they are now at a gross debt of $1.4 billion. They don't have enough money to sign their own players. They they were on the verge of having to renege on all the agreements that they had made with players in the offseason. This is it's it's insane how this ended up going down just two years ago. Actually, it, it, it comes back through. Uh, yeah, it comes back through uh, the two years ago. Barcelona had been in discussions of re-signing Neymar, who had left in 2017, and Barcelona had literally 
gotten paid a fortune for Neymar. They got paid over 222 million euros for Neymar. What did Barcelona do with that money for Neymar? Okay, it was 222 million uh, um, euros. They were offered Kylian Mbappe, currently the best player in the world. I know Messi fans will say otherwise, but Mbappe is valued as the best player in the world right now. Uh, Mbappe was 18 years old in 2017. They passed on him. They were also offered uh, Holland, uh, Erling Holland, who's tearing up the Bundesliga uh, in in that time span of two years ago, passed on him. So what did Barca do after selling Neymar in 2017? They paid for Dembele. On top of that. Because Dembele cost over a hundred million euros uh, up front, and I mean, whoo! You look back on that now, whoo, man! Dembele, Dembele might actually have been the best purchase of the group. That's the crazy part. Uh, so let's do the math. They got two hundred twenty million for uh, Neymar, and even then, they still have to pay taxes on that, so they don't get the full two twenty. But you get the thought process. So, is 220 for, but let's just keep it simple. We did 220 for, uh, uh, we, we keep it at 220 for, um, Neymar. So they pay 100, uh, 105 for Dembele. Not nearly, <laughs> not nearly as good as the, the price tag. Uh, let's just say that. On a scale of one to ten, that's probably a five and a half. Uh, they then pay Liverpool a hundred and sixty million euros for Philip Coutinho. Liverpool fans still laugh at this one because no one, no one thought Coutinho was worth this. How the hell did Barcelona pay that much for Coutinho? No one still can explain to me. How Coutinho managed to sell for that much. It didn't make any sense. No one understood that price tag. But again, in the world of football, people make dumb decisions all the time. So we all kind of just blew it off saying, you know, Barcelona's got enough money. They can splash around and pay for anyone. Apparently not. They were selling off land to finance some of these purchases. And they ran out of land. And the bills started coming due. In the midst of a pandemic. So they blew through the money. That they were already bringing in. For. uh, Neymar. uh, Neymar sale to PSG. And. They. They they completely butchered it. Completely butchered it. Then in 2019. When Dembele and Coutinho. Completely flamed out. Let's just be honest. Dembele was still featured on the squad occasionally, but man, was never even close to uh, coming close to that value. Coutinho was was a non-entity uh, at uh, Barcelona. It was just not playing. It, it was just, just you might as well have just lit the money on fire 
uh, uh, to the extent of what Coutinho was actually playing at Barcelona. So in 2019, Barcelona goes to Ajax to uh, try to get Frankie de Jong. And Barcelona pays de Jong uh, and Ajax 75 million euros. Now, again, he's young. He's a young, he was a young player. Most, uh, most of the uh, teams uh, that were shopping for your, uh, for De Young services, the highest number that people were reporting was 40. Like, Barcelona got so used to just overpaying for guys f- for no good reason that they just kept running up these deficits. So, by the time uh, you look at it, and yes, Messi, m- like, made a ton of money. So, between uh, uh, the last five years, uh, Messi has made over 550 million euros. Uh, you know, so if we're doing the math here. He's making over 100 mil uh, per year. The So even with the fact that you're paying Messi over 100 million per year, Barcelona kept paying Messi's teammates uh, raises every year, regardless of how well the team did or not, because Messi kept getting paid. So as long as uh, um, Messi was uh, getting pay raises, uh, Barcelona would just raise the salary of everyone else because they want to keep everyone happy. And Messi wanted everyone happy, so they just did what Messi wanted. But again, at a certain point, you, you would assume that like someone was paying attention to the finances. Barcelona's debt problems were so completely avoidable, it's insane. So in uh, 2019, again after getting uh, Frankie De Jong, they go after and, and they and they get and they get and, and Antoine Griezmann from uh, Atletico Madrid for 120 million euros. And again, it was a record fee because uh, Griezmann was over, uh, like I think he was like 28 at the time and you know usually in soccer you don't pay for guys that much unless they're under the age of 24 25 because like you want their prime years and prime years in soccer usually are considered 23 through 27 you guys just age sooner it's kind of like the nba you want them in uh, in those mid 20s and you try to avoid guys in the 30s but it's it's crazy. It is legitimately baffling to me that we're in this spot where Messi, after trying to leave last year, Barcelona fought like hell to keep Messi in place. They were hemorrhaging so much money they needed to sell him. Like, who is the treasurer of Barcelona? This is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. You could have at least salvaged the club if you sold Messi before the pandemic hit. I, I, I mean, why were you fighting so hard to keep Messi? I know the revenues are one thing, but you were hemorrhaging cash. It, it, it would make sense if it was one thing if you could if you were making money, but the team was losing money, and you knew they were losing money. I, I, I just can't understand this. So. 
between 2014 and 2019, Barcelona spent over a billion dollars on transfers alone. So when uh, I and we go back through UEFA and and, uh, and the financial fair play regulations uh, that are being supposed to be implemented by teams, you're only supposed to be having uh, a fielding a product of teams where your team wages account for, and this is going to be around the new rule, uh, it's, it's only supposed to be up to 70% of your revenues. You know, based off of what I'm telling you guys, like Barcelona is losing money. They're well over 100%. They, the reason why Messi ha- could could not actually agree, even at a 70% pay cut, the reason why Messi couldn't stay at Barcelona is that the team was hemorrhaging so much money that they are in violation of every single financial metric used internationally now to evaluate soccer clubs. Like Barcelona literally could be foreclosed on if we're being honest for ourselves with the Camp Nou. Like if this was a bank, the Camp Nou would be uh would be up up for a foreclosure sale. That's how bad the situation got. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We can't even. Uh, we can't even like. Uh, you can't even make a make a, a a movie about this. Like it's it's so absurd. Like this is like Brewster's millions in like some quasi world where you're, you're trying to uh, get this, uh, the team dissolved. It, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I, I, it's just, uh, you know, it, it was absolutely crazy. I, I can't understand how, uh, you, you know, <laughs> I, 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 it, it is baffling to me how many bad signings, uh, it, it it's just, it's it's baffling. It is baffling. It, it's honestly like Barcelona was playing a Ponzi scheme, but instead of like duping victims, they were duping themselves. I, like I can't understand. Like it, just looking at the signings that they made, there is no way. And even Messi has to know this. Like uh, I mean, you we can claim Messi's the victim, but. At a certain point, you yourself have to see like some of these transfers coming in and how much money. It's like, there's no possible way this team could be making money. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Barcelona finished third in La Liga last year. Atletico Madrid won the title. And part of it is because Barcelona didn't even have the money to pay uh, Luis Suarez. They, they they basically had to let Suarez go for free. And he helped uh, Madrid, uh, Atleti, Atleti win the title last year. It's it's absolutely insane. But, yeah, Me- Messi ha- has had to go. Because there's no possible way. And even then, like, Barcelona is still in violation. It's just the fact that it's too big to fail that they can't, they can't, uh, they can't let it go under. But La Liga, 
is in so much dire straits, they're trying to sell parts of the league off to private equity. And the biggest contestants fighting it is Real Madrid and Barcelona. <laughs> because selling selling parts of your league to uh, private equity is never a good idea for your long-term viability. You know, the private equity is going to stri- strip it dry, but that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Messi. But man, what a mess of a situation that is. A, a just unbelievable. But anyway, let's let's uh let's segue back into the Premier League. But I had to talk about that messy situation because that is just absolutely wild. What happened there? Absolutely wild. And you know, Messi walks over to PSG, the same PSG that's got Neymar, the same PSG that is flouting financial fair play rules. There is no way that a PSG is above board for a financial fair play standpoint. Zero chance. I'm waiting for the bubble to burst on PSG. There is no way PSG is actually above board with any of these rules either. It, the, there, there has to be a reckoning sooner than later. And sooner or later, that spotlight's going to get shown on PSG. I know it. I absolutely know it. But, you know, for now, uh, Messi looks like a kidnap victim. And all of these photo ops with PSG, I mean, he's trying to look like he's happy, but literally he looks like the dude holding up a newspaper uh, as a sign of proof of life. But uh, nobody's happy with this situation. This is, this is an awful look for uh, football in general uh, globally because, you know, fi- finances are so bad. But for it to strike Barcelona of all clubs, that should be the richest of them all. This is like so, supposed to be one of the... The big, the biggest, the biggest have. It's supposed to be the biggest have. You have your haves and have-nots. How in the world you're more broke than anyone else is is stunning, absolutely stunning. Uh, but yeah, like I said, let's get into the Premier League preview uh, and kind of break it down because we we got a, we got a lot to talk about with the Premier League this year um, and what I expect out of some of these teams. Amongst the teams that got dropped at the end of last year, we had Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United. The The team people were surprised by, and some people, meaning not me, uh, was Sheffield United because Sheffield had finished uh, in the top half of the table in their first year in the Premier League. People thought they'd be able to come close to that in their second year. And my whole thing with Sheffield United was their system didn't make a whole ton of sense. And once teams had time to sit around in the pandemic and break it down, it was a lot easier to figure out and attack. And Sheffield had no answers for adjusting. And the quality of the team wasn't nearly good enough to stay up. So to me, Sheffield wasn't a surprise last year, but it was a surprise to uh, most people. This year, the team that I think gets relegated, that I think folks are still sleeping on, and it's it's kind of hard to say it, but the team that's going to get dropped is Burnley. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but Burnley is likely to get dropped along with Southampton. Um, we've had three teams promoted in Brentford, uh, uh, Watford, and Norwich. Now, Norwich 
guaranteed, is dropping. Norwich does this stupid yo-yo act where they have players just good enough to compete in the championship. They make no acquisitions for the Premier League, but because they get so much money from the Premier League, once you get promoted, it becomes a case where they have enough money to compete back in the championship because they'll just go on a spending spree for the championship to uh, shore up the squad once they get relegated again, just so they can go back into the Premier League only to get dropped again because they don't spend any money. It, you know, they're they abusing the system by lining up their coffers with this endless yo-yo cycle. It doesn't always work, but more often than not, it actually does work by not spending any money once they get promoted to the Premier League that they have enough money that they know they're going to be in the top four in the championship once they get relegated again. It pisses me off because when you look at this uh, Norwich team, uh, uh, they were in the Premier League two years ago. Somehow they came back up with a team, and I'm looking at their roster, the, 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 t- the team that they had in the championship was better than the team that they're bringing up into the Premier League. Figure that out. Like, this, uh, this team sucks. It sucks. If you drop points to Norwich this year, you really have to reevaluate what you're doing as a football club. This is one of the worst Premier League teams. Like, I'm just looking at this team. The the key players on this team, like Timo Pukki, are two years older. They didn't bring back any younger players to supplant the guys who are getting older on this squad. People who actually think Norwich are staying up, I can't understand what they're thinking. Because it's insane. This Norwich team should not be anywhere close to surviving a relegation battle. They like they should be rock bottom in the league this year. Straight out. Norwich should be rock bottom. Now, the two teams that I think are in dire straits right now are Burnley and Southampton. I'll get to Burnley right now. Burnley are a well-coached squad. They've been in the Premier League for five years now. Maybe six. I could have that wrong. But Sean Dyche is an excellent coach. This is the thing that boggles my mind. I I had to read up on the fact that Sean Dyche never got a contract extension with Norwich. I I mean, never got a contract extension with Burnley. Burnley has not really made a huge effort to retain Sean Dyche. They won't give him money to actually improve the squad. They won't really refresh the squad. The squad is years old. They're getting long in the tooth. And while they are good quality players, they are getting up there in age. And in the Premier League, as I've said, you know, your prime years are in your 20s. The average age, average age on this squad is over 29 years old. The last time a Premier League team was this old was Watford a couple of years ago, which is when they got relegated. Like, this is not good. This team desperately needs to refresh. They don't play that many players. They, uh, it's one of the thinnest rosters. They, they only play about 14, 15 guys, including their goalies. Uh, this is not good. So I say this, that people won't be expecting Burnley, but realistically, Burnley should be one of the bets of teams that are uh, likely to get relegated. And 
you know, the relegation odds are in the plus uh, 400 range. It's not a crazy bet. It really is not a crazy bet for Burnley uh, uh, to get relegated because it's, uh, you know, it's what it's one of those cases where that, that roster's too old, and they didn't uh, they they didn't refresh anything, and that's the thing that scares me the most with Burnley is that uh, you know they need they needed to uh, they needed to refresh that roster. And the fact that they didn't actually give uh, Sean Dyche an extension, this is not good. It it just isn't. Uh, you know, I don't know how else uh, I can say this, but you you know, when you get to this stage where a team seems to be willing or somewhat preparing to drop, because that's what this feels like. It feels like Burnley has been up there long enough that they know that they needed to invest and just decided, eh, you know, we've had a good run. We've made some money. Let's not, uh, let's not try to, uh, uh, splash a, a ton, a ton of money, um, in the hopes of staying up. You know, we were 17th last year. We met, we managed to scrap our way through. We can do it again and not pay, uh, not spend the money. You know, I, I just don't like when Burnley got relegated the first time around, it was because, you know, they, they tried to scrap. They did a very good job scrapping, but, you know, they just didn't have enough. Now, this team is just, it's too old. I, 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 don't, I don't see them being able to survive a relegation battle. It, it's just that simple. Next on the list, Crystal Palace. Woo, man. Crystal Palace. Okay. Uh, Crystal Palace. Always comfortable getting just good enough to get out of the relegation battle and then coasting the rest of the way through. You know, they've gotten so used to it at this stage that sooner or later the wheels have to come off. And it may very well uh, be the case that uh, it it, it does uh, bite them in the ass this go around. Because when Roy Hodgson retired, Palace basically had the option of kind of going through the veteran manager pool and trying to find someone that could instill confidence in this group. Instead, they turned to Patrick Vieira, Arsenal legend. You know, right off the bat, he is an Arsenal legend. Oh, very grateful for Patrick Vieira for his playing career. But as a manager, he was above average at best. And honestly, at NYCFC, I honestly believe that team won in spite of him and his managerial style. Then he believed he was too big for uh, MLS and decided to not so secretly interview for uh, a job with Nice uh, while he was under contract and it became a huge deal. And at Nice, he completely floundered got bounced in less than two years. Awful record. Like, honestly, just a complete disaster. So when you go from failing at Nice to getting a job in the Premier League, something has completely gone wrong at Crystal Palace that they actually thought this was a good hire. There is no way you can have any legitimate confidence in Patrick Vieira getting hired if you're a Crystal Palace fan. There's nothing he's bringing to the table that makes you feel confident 
on a team that barely had any transfers, and you always run the risk of a grumpy Wolford Zaha uh, throwing a, a fit and not actually working hard or practicing with the team, that you could end up in a relegation battle at any moment in the season. Uh, you know, the Palace is a mess. Uh, and it's one of the teams that, you know, you would expect to have one of the first managerial fires because I could see Palace struggling early. And if they get off to a bad start, I mean, the relegation odds for Palace are actually higher than they are for uh, Burnley. Palace is a plus 175 to get relegated this year. No one has any confidence in Crystal Palace. No one. So a lot of questions there. Next up, we have Brentford, newly promoted. Brentford, interesting case, because they should have been promoted well before then. Uh, they they botched multiple chances in the playoffs in the championship, uh, but they finally, uh, they finally got their automatic promotion uh, this year. And, you know... It's a it's a squad that's definitely going to be able to compete. I think Arsenal needs to be on the toes today, but uh, you know I think Brentford's still going to have trouble keeping goals out of the net, and ultimately that's what's going to end up keeping them in a relegation battle. Because as long as they're going to give up goals, and they were a very open team in the Championship, I can't see that changing all that much in the Premier League with a, a better talent. Uh, uh, they're going up against how they're going to keep goals out of the net. Leeds was uh, not able to do so, but Leeds plays a style where they want you to be very open because they're banking on their their movement and tactics of uh, stretching out the field that they're going to put in more goals than they let in. So Leeds already has their own system of how they're staying up, and they execute it very well. Brentford's going to have to do something similar because I don't see them shoring up defensively enough to make a a big enough impact where they're going to be able to stay up otherwise. So they're going to have to figure figure out certain things. But in terms of the actual uh, betting odds, Brentford's a a plus 110 to get relegated this year. You know, not completely surprising at all. Next up, Watford. Oh, man, Watford, the classic dysfunctional English Premier League franchise. They came back for more. Uh, promoted again after hiring and firing multiple managers. Uh, Watford, owned by multiple ownership groups. They are very transactional. They do not care about their players or their manager. They look at it simply as a business deal. As soon as there's the first sign of trouble, somebody's getting fired, and they will bring in players. So they will spend money to stay in the Premier League because, you know, ultimately, because there's so many different owners, they're going to make moves if they see any sign of trouble. The problem is, is that there's no consistency whatsoever and there's no actual uh, vision long-term plan-wise because there's so many uh, chefs in the kitchen that it's impossible to get past the static uh, generated by this team. So, it's uh, you know, we'll see if uh, Sari, who's their main striker, uh, can put up the goals uh, for Watford to keep them up, uh, they're plus 100 uh, to get relegated. You know, they're going to be in the relegation battle. You know, top to bottom, if you look at uh, that roster, 
uh, they run into this similar problems as what they've had in years past, and that it's a veteran roster. Uh, they their average age is twenty eight. Like this is how they got uh, this is how they got relegated uh, the first time around because of their age. They, it's just a very veteran roster, but you know that's not exactly an encouraging sign. So interesting uh, to see the the approach that they've taken, but. Um, it, it 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 there is there are very real concerns with uh, Watford at, overall as a group. Next on the list, Newcastle. Woo, Newcastle should have been relegated last year. Got bailed out by Joe Willock, thanks to a trans uh, a loan from Arsenal, and now it's a full time transfer. Uh, Willock basically caught fire at the end of last year, scored nine goals for. Newcastle helped them in the relegation battle and got them uh, uh, safely promoted because they were very much in danger of going down. They're straight out, it's like without Willock, they, they there's a very real chance uh, Newcastle gets relegated last year. They didn't really do a whole lot. They were waiting in this window to be able to secure uh, Willock and Arsenal. Instead of just taking back Willock on loan, seeing what the, he could do offensively. They actually just let him walk. They legitimately let the man walk out the door for 20 million pounds. We're going to get to Arsenal a bit later. But man, like you got a guy who put up nine goals under the age of 23 and you sell him? Like It doesn't even make sense what Arsenal's doing. doesn't even make sense. You always want to have that squad death. And you could always rotate players. It's like there, there is no excuse why Bullock should have been sold by Arsenal. None. The, this club is completely dysfunctional. But it's good business for Newcastle. So uh, if Bullock can do anything close to what he did last year, and maybe he doesn't do it, and that's the rationale Arsenal fans be, seem to be going with because people should be more up in arms about Bullock getting sold than they are. Like they keep making excuses that oh it, it's it's possibility that's going to open up Odegaard. Even if Odegaard comes in, Arsenal has a bunch more issues than who's in the attacking midfield. It, it, regardless, you shouldn't be selling squad depth when you don't have a whole lot of depth in your squad. Bottom line. But with that being said, he's actually a useful addition to Newcastle. And like I said, if he comes anywhere close to where he was last year. Newcastle will not have the relegation battle woes that they've had in years past. Now, again, as I say this, there's a very real chance he does have uh, the same issues. But I I tend to be more on the uh, uh, brighter side in, in outlook, saying that uh, Newcastle uh, should be in safer hands. Um, I actually think that they are safer than the next team I'm going to mention. So Newcastle has plus 270 odds of getting... Uh, Relegated, I don't. I, I think that should be higher, uh, to be honest. Um, but the team that is getting uh, is uh, up next. We're going to talk about is Southampton. Southampton. I'm being honest here. They, if if I hadn't already talked about so many other teams that are worthy of getting relegated, I would have brought up Southampton already. Southampton did not address any of the issues that they had in the second half of the year. With that roster, they're a very young squad, but they needed more in the midfield and holding mid. 
like Southampton has a lot of the same issues Arsenal has. They don't have a whole lot in terms of a holding midfield. They have very questionable attacking. Uh, if guys aren't clicking up top, if they're not getting service, like they have very questionable means of scoring, uh, scoring the ball. And overall, I wasn't, you know, after the hot start that he got off to, it seemed like teams figured him out. But uh, the one reason why I kind of give Southampton a break is that there are other teams with more glaring holes on their rosters than Southampton does. Southampton still has an excellent academy and still has a wealth of of players that they can still interchangeably bring up from uh, their academy squad that should help them in pinches to manage a relegation battle. Southampton's plus 450, so that's actually a worthwhile bet to get relegated if things don't pan out at all and everything backfires. But truth be told, Southampton did not do a whole lot uh, in terms of uh, movement. And you're actually going to see this quite a bit in terms of some of these squads. Uh, You know, uh, we're going to talk about Brighton next. Brighton. They made out like bandits because they they hoodwinked Arsenal into paying fifty million million pounds for Ben White. Oh my goodness, Ben White! Uh, listen, they they got Ben White the year before from Swansea for less than ten million ten million pounds. Uh, they just sold him for fifty million pounds, and they had a sign on attachment bonus. The amount of money Arsenal spent on Ben White, it is so laughable. I I can't I can't put into words how how stupid Arsenal is for that acquisition. When they already had Saliba. And for whatever reason, Mikel Arteta hates Saliba so much that he's willing to spend fifty I mean you can't even kidding me. I'm like, come on. It's Ben White. What are you doing? Like, he had a nice year. But it's Ben White. Like, were we watching the same game table, Brighton? Like, what was Ben White doing? Like, this ain't Virgil Van Dyke, people. Have you seen his height? Do you do you know how tall Ben White is? He is not tall. He, he is significantly shorter than Virgil Van Dyke and Harry Maguire. He is a undersized center back, and you paid 50 million pounds for him. Like, Brighton literally has been able to make a number of transactions to supplant that roster, refresh to death. Brighton basically is going to be in a pretty nice position overall that they could legitimately make a run into the into the top half if things go well. Like it would not shock me if Brighton actually did well enough to finish in the top half of the table. That's how crazy that transaction was with Arsenal. Like we have basically filled Brighton's coffers enough that they should be able to protect their roster and refresh with young talent because Grand Potter actually has a system that his players buy into. And they're good defensively. And that's a relatively young squad. Average age is about 25. They have plenty of guys that can be useful. Like, Brighton should be in a good spot. 
I actually like Brighton's chances to finish higher than Aston Villa, who comes up next. Villa, you know, had their strongest showing, obviously, in years. But, you know, truth be told, uh, a lot of folks are thinking Villa's going to qualify for Europa, and I I, I want to know what they're smoking, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know... A good season for Villa is finishing 10th. Getting up to 7th is, you're you're out of your mind. There's no way Villa is getting into the top, uh, into Europe. I mean, they just sold, they they sold Jack Grealish, but it took to the end of the window. They got a ton of money from uh, Manchester City. They got over 100 million pounds. So they'll be able to make some more acquisitions. They, they have some talent, but they don't have nearly as much talent as people are giving them credit for. Like, to, to qualify for Europe, like, you got to be able to have a deep squad. Like, Villa is not deep. Villa has many of the same problems as the next team we're going to talk about in Everton. But, uh, you know, do I think Villa and Everton can finish ahead of Arsenal? Hell yeah. I absolutely think uh, uh, Villa and Everton can finish ahead of Arsenal. Um, without question. I'm giving Arsenal benefit of the doubt because I seem to be the most negative person talking about Arsenal. But truth be told, I think I'm right and most people are absolutely wrong about Arsenal. I actually think Arsenal is finishing in the bottom half of the table this year more more likely than not. But I will put uh, I will put Villa and uh, uh, Villa and Brighton uh, in in that bottom half of the table and still keep uh, uh, Arsenal in tenth. But there's a very real chance that uh, we we end up with Arsenal in tenth and uh, Villa and um, uh, Brighton both ahead of Arsenal. Like that is not surprising at all. And that brings us to my beloved Arsenal, the Gunners, uh, the Gunners. I'm a Gunner. They're the Gunners. But there's not much to get excited about Arsenal this year. I don't care what anyone says about the Ben White signing. It is a dumb signing. We overpaid horribly. It's not that he's a bad player. It's just that he's not a great player. He's, he's a good player. But you, can, you, if anyone is actually trying to sell me on Ben White being anywhere remotely close to 50 million pounds, I want them to show me and outline exactly when and where in specific games what he did that was so dramatically better than most of the center backs in the Premier League already. Because there are a couple of guys that I could name ahead of him that I probably would take ahead of Ben White last year. It's not that he's bad. It's just that I just don't think he's particularly great. He's good. He's talented. But with the price tag that he got sold for, man, Arsenal got hoodwinked horribly. And the dumbest thing about Arsenal is the areas of need. Yes, you needed a center back, but you have no depth at center back. Why is Saliba getting loaned out again? Mikel Arteta, Arsenal's manager, has this hard on about certain players that he doesn't envision them in the Arsenal uniform. 
And so he just sends them away or lets them go for nothing. And Saliba's going out back out on loan. Uh, we bring in Lukongo, but at the same time, we still don't address the Granite Jaka situation. You can't sell Granite Jaka. So what do you do? You give him a pay raise? The guy who could not play central defensive midfield, your weakest area, without question. You can question the, uh, the center backs, but the, the biggest area of concern for Arsenal last year was their midfield. They could not stop teams countering them at all because they didn't have a holding midfielder. And based on the analytics Arsenal goes by, they hate N'Golo Conte's guts. They don't think guys like N'Golo Conte are worth a damn in football. Yet that is precisely the type of football player Arsenal needs desperately if they want to have any shot of contesting going back to Europe again. Anytime soon. Arsenal is so horribly flawed uh, strategically as a team because they have a bunch of skilled players yet have no actual understanding of the job assignments and role responsibilities in order to execute the game plans they want to implement. Arsenal has to hard sell defensively on everything because they don't have any holding midfielders so everyone has to collapse defensively at once, which cripples your offensive creativity. This team plays it so safe on offense, it is hard to watch this team. Now, that's not to say we want to a return to the Wenger style where, again, we didn't have any holding midfielders, so anytime teams were going to counter against Arsenal, it was a pretty much an automatic goal. The thing is, is that they just overcommitted to defense, and the offense got worse, significantly worse, because there's no service to the uh, to the uh, to the final third of the pitch. And instead, Arsenal's blaming Lacazette and Aubameyang for why they're not scoring goals. The system sucks, and you don't have the players to execute the system. That's why you suck so much. You can blame the players all you want, but it, it's a failure of recognizing the actual players on the field and the system you want to execute. It is not going to work. This team is going to struggle again against good teams. It's probably going to struggle against bad teams. Because, again, when teams counter Arsenal, they are going to give up quality scoring chances. So all these rumors about Arsenal trying to land another goalkeeper and replace Burn Leno. Leno was not your problem. Did Leno have a bad year last year? Yeah. Was it a mistake letting Martinez go to Aston Villa for basically nothing? Oh, yeah. It was a dumb idea, when, uh, and I said as much when it happened. The uh, Arteta needed to make sure and convince Martinez to want to stay at Arsenal to compete for the starting job. He just decided to give the job to Lano regardless without the competition. What I mean that, that I mean that's straight up BS, absolute BS. But uh, Arteta just makes these arbitrary decisions and then goes to the complete one eighty when. Uh, it, when it starts looking bad on them. But that's strictly on Arteta. But just replacing Leno with any goalkeeper is not going to fix your problems. You don't have a holding midfielder. You still don't. And you gave the guy who couldn't do the job last year a pay raise in Jaka. Jaka has skill sets, but holding midfield is not one of them. He cannot play the role you have him assigned to. It, it is painfully obvious. 
We have three years of game tape to prove that he can't play holding midfield, and yet you still keep trotting him out there. And why you failed to actually address that position and you're chasing all these other players, Odegaard is a good player. But you already have Emil Smith-Rowe. You already have Buyaka Saka. Uh, You know, you have players that can play the role that Odegaard would be playing anyway. That's not your focus. Your focus needs to be on shoring up the back line and actually shoring up your midfield so that you can possess the ball. If you don't possess the ball, retrieve the ball and also be able to stop counterattacks. Arsenal can't do any of those things right now. And as long as Arsenal can't do any of those things, no matter how good your individual outplays can be to get wins, you will always struggle in basic aspects of the game, especially set pieces. And again, Arsenal will still suck at set pieces because you paid 50 million pounds for an undersized center back when you already suck at headers. How, man, I don't understand who is running this club. Arsenal spends so much money so poorly. It is infuriating to say the least. And I am done talking about Arsenal. We are moving on. God, this team. Oh, Everton. <laughs> oh, man, Everton. Oh, man. Everton literally got ditched. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, Everton did not deserve Carlo Ancelotti as a coach last year. They really did not deserve him. So when Ancelotti basically got a chance to go back to coach Real Madrid, he immediately jumped on that and peaced out of there after one year. And Everton fans were pissed and they're talking about, oh, you know, he's going to regret that decision. And no, Ancelotti's going to be just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, he's probably going to win actual titles, which was most likely not going to happen at Everton. Um, Everton, always talented. It, it's dysfunctional, to say the least, as a club. And Everton is also one of these clubs where they have spent a lot of wages. And what I've talked about before with financial fair play and these clubs where their wages versus revenue, Everton is one of those clubs that is dangerously over the threshold, uh, the proposed threshold limit of 70% for the Premier League. Uh, Everton's uh, closer to 84% of uh, their wages uh, relative to threshold. So if the crackdown actually happened in the Premier League, Everton's the, the cl- uh, one of the clubs that's legitimately at risk of uh, getting severely punished. I don't think it, it'll happen, but it's something to legitimately be concerned about if you're a Toffees fan, because, you know, sooner or later that bill is going to come due and Everton ha- haven't won deadly squat for all the money they've spent. Uh, So again, it it is something to behold, but you know, could Everton compete for Europe? Certainly. They still have more than enough talent with Richarlison, uh, Sigurdsson, uh, Lucas Dina. Uh, I mean, obviously they have Hamas, Hamas up top. They have talent. They don't have any consistency and they have no depth. And the same issues I say with Arsenal uh, apply to Everton as well. As soon as they start racking up injuries, you don't have the depth to continue to keep uh, keep competing at the top of the table. So to me, Everton is one of the most dangerous clubs 
to just be completely gutted uh, if uh, if they get cracked down on uh, for uh, financial fair play yeah, with the, the salary wages that they have in place. And it is very, they are running a very dangerous game. Next up, West Ham. You know, I make fun of David Moyes. But David Moyes has actually settled in with West Ham doing what he used to do with Everton. You know, not really doing a whole lot uh, to excite you, but making sure you play quality football, you play defense, you do well on set pieces, and you, you eke out victories. That's what West Ham does. Like, it is... They are not exciting to watch, really, at all. But they do enough little things, and they don't F up a ton of things that they manage to win more often than not because their opponents screw up more than they do. And they do just enough to get by. And while they do have an older roster, uh, which would be a concern again from an injury standpoint and everything else that I have outlined with other teams. They have more talent than most clubs that they should be able to sustain injuries in terms of the the depth of their roster. So by all accounts, like West Ham actually might be competing for Europe again. Uh, They're in Europe. Like that's the, that's the one bugaboo for uh, West Ham this year is the fact that they're in Europe do the extra games in Europe uh, weigh on them in terms of fatigue because of the age of the roster and being able to rotate properly. If they go out early in Europe, they should be fine. But if they actually do well in Europe, which, you know, I I don't really know with the quality of teams in Europe now, given the pandemic and all the te- these clubs that have had to sell players, West Ham might actually do well in Europe this year. This might actually be the year they could take advantage of certain teams being weaker overall outside of uh, the Premier League. So it's an interesting case, uh, to say the least. Next up, Leeds. Oh, I love watching Leeds, which pains me to say because I hate Leeds, but I like watching Leeds because of Bielsa, their, their manager. You know, Leeds is a football club and their fans, you hate them because they were a historic rival. But the style of play that they have, man, oh, I wish Arsenal could play the way Leeds does. Oh, I wish. So wish so badly Bielsa was on Arsenal. Oh, he probably quit immediately because of how incompetent Arsenal's being run. But the system that Leeds runs with attacking style play, being, being willing to give up goals because they know they can outrun and outpace. The Leeds are in the most fit shape of any club in the league based on the way Bielsa runs those guys ragged and has them prepared to run ragged. Like, they just break you physically and mentally because they have gas tanks that are deeper than yours. Like, they just wear you out with with their tenacity. And it is fun to watch Leeds play. You know, what... The question is, like, once, because I think Leeds actually does get into Europe this year. If Leeds gets into Europe next year, can they actually keep that style of play up? Like, I'm not entirely certain it's possible because it's just, it, it, it breaks you down as eventually 
the bill comes due as a player playing that style of football for an extended period of time. The bill comes due. Uh, I don't think it'll be this year, but it could be next year. It, it very well could be this year. But, like, some of those players are st- going to start breaking down, and they're going to have to refresh that squad. But, yeah, I, I, I like Leeds' chances of uh, qualifying for Europe this year. Leicester City. Now we are actually getting to the teams that could be in the top four. Leicester, always finishing just outside the top four. It, it's been three years. Three years of football where Leicester has been in the top four in terms of days in the top four, only to finish outside the top four the last three years. They find ways of backsliding out of the top four the last three years. They can't get over the finish line with Brendan Rodgers. What changes this year to get them over the finish line? James Madison is rumored to be on the way out and being, again, sold for a very high price to Arsenal because Arsenal doesn't know what the they are doing, but it doesn't matter because Tielemans is more valuable to Leicester than uh, Madison ever was. And that's the truth. Like, that's why I, I love how all these teams like keep saying, like, you know, they worry about Leicester because Madison's going, who, who, who cares? It like, that's not what makes uh, Leicester good. What makes Leicester good is, do they have the players that can attack defensively, retrieve the ball, so they can go back on the offensive? As long as they have players that can track back the ball, they'll be fine. And Tielemans is still there. Madison does that a bit too, but Tielemans is more important in terms of how they go about do their business. And Lester, you know, to their credit, they've been able to consistently pay for players. I don't know how they're getting around financial fair play. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I honestly think Lester's doing something funky because the salaries and wages certain players signed for to play for Lester when they could play for some of these other clubs in the Premier League for way more in wages, it doesn't make sense. Like it, it, the the math doesn't add up. So I'm not saying that Lester's paying players under the table. I'm just saying Lester is paying players under the table. But you can't prove it yet <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense how Lester keeps getting players like Vestigard for way less than market value unless they're paying them under the table. But we can't prove it yet. We can't prove that they're paying them under the table, but it's got to be that they're paying them under the table because there's no way possible you can get players as cheap as Lester does year after year after year. It is so frustrating. It is so frustrating. Watching Arsenal spend money so poorly, and then Leicester just signing other guys for like, 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 <laughs> like, like it, it's honestly as if Arsenal shops at the most high end, uh, high end stores, and then Leicester gets the knockoff of the exact same outfit for ninety percent less than what Arsenal paid for, and it's the exact same outfit. Oh man, I, like I don't know how I don't know how Lester's doing it. I think they're paying players on the table. I would say that is my conjecture. I I don't have any proof of that, so I'll say that as a caveat before any, any of the Foxes fans start yelling at me about these accusations. But it doesn't make any sense how Lester keeps getting away with this. It's it's unbelievable to be honest. Um, but yeah, Lester 
They're going to be competing for the top four again this year. They're going to finish ahead of Arsenal. Like, I don't care if Madison goes to Arsenal. It has no bearing on whether or not Leicester actually competes for top four. I want people to understand this. James Madison has no impact on whether or not Leicester competes for top four or not this year. No impact. That's not, that, that really does not have the bearing. Is Jamie Vardy still there? Do they retrieve the ball in their back half? Yes. Then they're going to have a chance of competing for, uh, for top four. As long as Jamie Vardy's healthy, they can retrieve the ball and, and, and start pushing the ball up top, and they still have guys that can do that. Madison has no impact whatsoever otherwise. All right, next up, we have Man United. Here's the thing about United, and people are going to be wondering why the hell I'm mentioning United now instead of some of these other teams. I just think that some of these other teams are better than United. You know, United got Rafael Varane, again, this this season pisses me off so much. They got him for peanuts compared to what Arsenal just paid for Ben White. Like, United got like an upgrade in their, in their defense. And Arsenal's still paying more than everybody else. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about Arsenal. Um, but realistically, Bruno Fernandes has been playing so well and so out of his mind. I, you you got to think that at some point, like, the man's got to slow down. Like, Bruno Fernandes has been the best player in the Premier League for two years now. At a certain point, he's got to slow down. Like, that's my whole thing. It's like they got Sancho, they got Varane, but at a certain point, I gotta think Bruno Fernandez has got to slow down. It's not Pogba that's gonna move the needle for United. You know, Cavani's not gonna move the needle. It, it's it, it comes down to Bruno Fernandez. He doesn't do anything internationally for Portugal. You know, he had a terrible Euro, but when he plays for United. He's the best player in the Premier League. It, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's like I knew he was good, but he, he should not be this good. He should not be this good. And he does it for United. And it pisses me off. But I think at a certain point, he's got to slow down a bit. And if he slows down, I think United are vulnerable. Because I haven't seen the consistency in their attack, uh, you know, uh, in the final third where I think they have enough goals to get through against some of the other teams that they're going to be going up uh, against. And that that's really what it comes down to. Next up, we got Spurs, Tottenham. All right, let's just get this out of the way. Harry Kane can, you know, he's he's going to complain. He's going to be miserable. If, if 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 Tottenham are smart, they'll sell him to City and take the 150 million pounds. That's the smart thing and prudent thing to do. Just take the money and run because City will overpay you. And they ran out of time uh, for the messy deal to make the messy deal work. But you have time to actually get the de- this deal done with Harry Kane and uh, Spurs. I, I I mean, if I'm Spurs, just take the money. This is simple. Here's the thing. You have Nuno. Uh, oh, actually, I should have mentioned Wolves before. Wolves are not making Europe. Uh, so I did forget to mention Wolves. Uh, 
I think I Wolves are probably going to be the eighth or ninth place team. Uh, you know, they'll be solid. They're just not going to be good. But you know, Nuno got let go by Wolves, which was a mistake in my opinion. I don't think Wolves pays for it this year. I think it's more likely next year they're probably going to start feeling the effects of not having Nuno. I do think Nuno is going to do a world of good for Spurs because once Spurs moved on for Pochettino, they completely lost their identity as a club. And I think Nuno can help restore some of the belief and enjoyment that these players lost when they just had their souls sucked out of them by Mourinho. And so I think Spurs are going to be competing for top four again, even without Harry Kane, because I think Spurs has enough talent and young talent in that team it, it, playing through Jimmy and Son. I, I, I honestly think that uh, I think Son is good enough to actually get Spurs into top four. Uh, I think he's that good. If he given the opportunity, he's never been given a full opportunity to be the leader of the team when it wasn't a complete dysfunctional mess. I think uh, Poach would have given him that opportunity had Poach been able to stay on and they didn't run into the drama of will Poach stay or will he go? I think that like ended up uh, kind of uh, distracting the team and like they never recovered from that. And like last year just completely went off the rails. Uh, but Human Sung like signed a new contract. He's going to be there a long time. I think Deli Alley, you know, I know folks are down on Alley, but he's still only 25 and he still has talent. My whole thing with, uh, uh, with uh, Nuno is that I think he can unlock Deli Alley to be a box to box player. And Ali has the offensive skills to still be effective. Uh, I honestly believe that. You know, I'm a I'm I'm an Arsenal supporter, but I think Spurs under Nuno he can actually get them to do certain things that folks did not really have envisioned for them. Because I I think when you have guys like Ndombele and Sissoko, like you have guys who can go box to box, but I also think Deli Ali can do that too. And he can finish. Like I, I honestly think that there's gonna be guys uh, who can do uh, do some damage. Uh, you know, there there should be another transfer coming in. Um, uh, they're they're said to be bringing in um, Brian Gill uh, from Sevilla, another talented winger. Uh, they have Stephen Berwin, uh, another talented winger. They have Lucas Moore on the right wing side. They have guys who can attack on the wings. Like they have more than wings. Like again, not having, uh, not having Kane as the center forward. Yeah. That's going to hurt if they sell him. But if Kane doesn't want to be there and you're getting 150 million pounds, you got to sell, you got to sell. It doesn't make any sense not to sell. It's just being foolhardy. And you can bring in another striker with that. uh, The amount of money you get paid. It doesn't make any sense uh, doing it otherwise, but yeah, I think I think people are sleeping on Nuno, uh, and I think he gets quite a bit out of Spurs. Uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, uh, 
uh, about how everything's uh, being handled. All right. Now we come down to the final three. Ugh. Chelsea. Winners of Champions League. Ugh, man. Chelsea violated financial fair play, and there is not a single thing anyone can tell me differently about it. And instead of being punished severely, they got a slap on the wrist and still allowed to pay guys absorbent amounts of funds because of the penalties that they already incurred. Like, this is the most screwed up thing ever. And yet still, with the, uh, with the amount of money that they paid on Zayic and, and, and Timo Werner, uh, you know, you, you brought in all these other guys, and it still didn't make a lick of difference. The guys who actually got them uh, 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 to the top, it wasn't Kai Havertz uh, or, or Werner. It, it was Christian Pulisic. It was Mason Mount. It was all these kids in the academies that they ignored for years. I got Chelsea in those positions. The issue with Chelsea is their lack of consistency across the board. Like they, they were a young team and you know, they needed, they needed structure and Frank Lampard was not the manager to handle a squad that young. Just being perfectly honest, Thomas Tuchel ended up being the right guy. Like he just ended up having the right voice, get getting in their ear and being able to organize them, you know, he kind of he treated his team a little bit like similar to how he ran Borussia Dortmund uh, when he was uh, doing well in the Bundesliga. You know, I it pisses me off, but, like, he was the right guy at the right time for Chelsea, and it worked out splendidly for them. Man, you have no idea how hard it is to say that. Uh, but... Yeah, I honestly think that the odds for Chelsea winning uh, the title this year are a bit too low. Uh, you know, being honest, uh, Chelsea is plus 500, same odds as Liverpool. I'd actually say that uh, Chelsea should be a little bit more favored to win the title than Liverpool this year. The, the biggest thing for Liverpool is the fact that Virgil van Dijk is healthy. But I do think Chelsea has the talent to win the league and the biggest thing holding them back is their own consistency. If they get even a little bit more consistent, this is a wide open title race. Man City should be favored to win the title. But if Chelsea is even remotely more consistent in their play and how they approach the games that they need to win against the top six, sky's the limit for Chelsea. Liverpool, you know, very tough season last year. The Van Dyke injury derailed everything, and they got the injuries started catching up to them. And the issue I have with Liverpool is that roster is now getting on the longer end of the tooth in terms of the age cycle where injuries are more likely to be an issue for them moving forward than in past years. So last year, yeah, you could chalk up, uh, chalk it up to injuries and the squad not being as deep as it had been in years past. But those same issues still apply. If Liverpool gets banged up again this year, 
they are not going to be able to qualify for top four. They got in on the back door because Lester fell off. I don't think it happens this year. I think Spurs are good enough to get into top four on their own, not having, uh, not having, uh, uh, Mourinho, uh, like torpedo the squad. So again, it, it just becomes one of these situations where I think, you know, we could be in line, uh, to have, uh, have a, a, a rough couple of uh, you know rough uh, a couple of rough years for Liverpool if they don't get anything of note done this year I think like some of those contracts are coming up this is the last hurrah for Klopp and he's a group of players they actually need to win again because I don't think this squad comes back next year and it's full form and I think it, it, it becomes a rebuilding project for Liverpool so Liverpool actually needs to win the cup, uh, win the Premier League title this year, and a cup or two. Otherwise, it's a failure. With this crop of players and how talented they are, like they had a right to win more than they have because of how good they are when they're clicking. And it, it may be, it may be the window may may actually be uh, closed. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I could be too pessimistic on Man United and. Not pessimistic enough on Liverpool, but Liverpool, by all rights, needs to be a significant player in the Premier League this year in the title race. Which brings us to Man City, who paid £150 million for Jack Grealish, and if they had known two days later that Messi was available, they absolutely would have deep-sixed that deal faster than you could say Taco Bell. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, or, uh, or, or fast. You can say, yo, Kira Taco Bell. Maybe, maybe I'll give them a little bit more time than that, but they would have X'd out that deal with Grealish. No time, no time at all. Just pull that offer because no way they pay that much for Grealish knowing that Messi was available. You know, Barcelona, like Pep Guardiola must be so pissed at Barcelona, not telling at least his contact not uh, not giving meds up that the Messi deal was going to fall apart completely because La Liga was not going to allow them to keep Messi. Oh, he 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 has to be fuming. Oh man, he wanted Messi so badly too, and they just ran out of time, so they settled for Grealish. And oh, he oh, Pep Pep, Pep absolutely is going to be spending nights thinking about that too. And as even as good as Agrelis could be playing, he knows he could have had uh, Messi. He knows he's coached him before. He wanted Messi so badly to come to City. So it is very interesting with this City squad because they signed Grealish, but still didn't address the striker position. You know, he Pep does not trust Gabriel Jesus. However. They do not want to pay 150 million pounds uh, for Harry Kane. They're, they were still trying to haggle with Spurs. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to overpaying for Harry Kane to get what uh, City's looking for. You know, Chelsea paid a boatload of money for Lukaku to come back. And like I said, I, I don't value Lukaku that highly. I don't think Lukaku does anything to actually get. Chelsea closer to winning the title or not. 
But I do think Harry Kane's abilities to finish around the net are what City needs because City basically <clears throat> they create more than enough chances. They just need a poacher to uh, get them a couple of goals and get them over the hump in some of the bigger matchups, which is what Kane does. Because when it comes to actually creating stuff, Kane's not actually good at that. That's why he struggles in some of the larger competition, the international competition, when he doesn't have nearly as much, uh, uh, nearly as much uh, uh, space available to him. Because in an international place, you usually end up having to create more on your own. Because you know the, the the level of competition, you don't have a significant advantage as you would with some of these club teams. But you know, City. It's a stacked team. Their B team would still finish in the top half of the table of the Premier League. So it, I'm not going to sit here and say that there, there's a scenario where City struggles this year. Because technically, City struggled in the beginning of last year. And guess what? They still won the league. Still won it. Handily. So it is what it is. I, I'm just going to say... Uh, Say it like City should win the league again this year. You know, it's not a, a done deal, done dusted, but City is accurately favored. You know, it's like minus 139 if you want to bet on City to win the league, like uh, 150 in certain books as well. But that is the logical choice. It's a logical choice. There's nothing uh, you can say against City that makes them a bad play. So, you know. That's just the fact of the matter. Uh, fact of the matter. City should win the league. It's up to these other teams to find ways of being creative and, and kind of shutting it down. But you know, they, you know, these teams have to play better, and they've got to be able to create. If they can't do it, then it's a done deal. But you know, that's uh, that's the long and short of it. Uh, truth be told, so. That's going to do it for my recap of uh, and summary of the Premier League uh, preview. Uh, I'm going to do a separate episode just kind of outlining uh, the fantasy Premier League game just so you have an idea of roster construction. I'm not going to outline exactly which players to pick because, you know, there are tons of players you could select, but I'm going to at least give you a primer as to how you should start building out your roster uh, for the fantasy game that uh, it's going to be played throughout the season. So, Stay tuned for that, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed this preview so you have an idea of what to expect out of all these teams this year. And until next time, folks, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets.